the relaxed part is actually where the best ideas come from because you're kind of not too stressed you're allowed to think more creatively allowed to sort of explore ideas and play with things basically and um, it's in that play that you actually come up with the most creative stuff hello intelligent beings of this marvelous planet welcome to the 42 courses podcast and thanks for listening Peter Judo Diharjo is the creator behind the popular behavioral science YouTube channel, Pete Judo. Pete's vibe is enthusiastic and energetic explanations of key concepts in behavioral economics and psychology. He's already attracted thousands of subscribers in the short time since he started the channel. And Pete's particular speciality is in the science of habits and making behavior change stick. Very useful stuff. So, it's true to say that Pete is fast becoming an influencer in the behavioral science field. And during the week, Pete is now a behavioral science practitioner at Ogilvy's behavioral science practice, Ogilvy Change, founded by the totally amazing Rory Sutherland. So, I'm super happy to be speaking today to Peter Judo Diharjo. Hi, Pete. Hi, Brent. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your time. Hey, so um, for people that might not know you, uh, tell them why I'm interested in speaking to you about your YouTube channel. Yeah, sure. Um, so hi, everyone. My name is Peter Judodi Hajo, and I have a YouTube channel where I talk about behavioral science, psychology, and self-improvement. And what I'm really advocating for on the channel is for people to live an evidence-based lifestyle, to be honest, which is to take... The, the evidence and the scientific method and, and use it to, to inform their decisions and their choices in real life. And it hasn't been going that long, really, but it's been really successful for you, right? Yeah, surprisingly successful. Um, <laughs> I started it in lockdown. Um, and so it's only been going for about a year and a half, but we're now, you know, well over 4,000 subscribers. So it's been a great, a great uh, journey for sure. It's quite amazing considering you're not talking about like Formula One or cooking or something. It's very niche, you know, behavioral science. So it's like amazing success. So congrats on that and long may it continue. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think everyone would want to know what first piqued your interest in behavioral science? What was the switch? It was a talk that I watched uh, by Dan Ariely. Mm. And I know that Dan's going through a bit of a, a rough patch right now. Um, yeah. But it was really a talk by him, a TED talk called, um, are we really in control of our decisions? And I was going through this weird phase where I was watching lots of TED talks and I just happened to click on his one and it just like blew my mind. You know, he talked about the decoy effect. He talked about, um, you know, asymmetric dominance. And I was like, oh, this is like so interesting that, you know, this is how people's choices can be influenced by these seemingly trivial factors. And so it was from that point on that, you know, I'd read his book and then I just found Rory and I, you know, and I watched and read and as much as I could and just haven't really stopped until now, to be honest. But were you delving into areas similar beforehand? Were you into psychology or things like that? I was into psychology a little bit. Uh, I mean, in the sense that I was reading stuff like Malcolm Gladwell, which is kind mm -hmm. of more uh, pop psychology but with you know a decent amount of evidence, Def definitely just sort of applying a, a, a scientific lens in general um, to human problems was something I've always been interested in. Okay, is it, did you do sciences at university, or is that where you came from? Yeah, in university, I did uh, I did a joint degree called psychology and global sustainable development. So half my degree was in psychology, and then half was in um, yeah sustainability, basically. You said that you wanted to live an evidence-based lifestyle, and that's your uh, reason. But what was what was the 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 real why in the Simon Sinek kind of way? What was the why to start your channel? 
it's I mean it started out me just talking about stuff that I was curious about stuff that I was interested in you know um Rory it was a conversation I had with Rory and uh, Rory Sutherland and he said you know there's, there's not much behavioral science content on YouTube and I was like that's true so that's how I started out I was just talking about different biases that people had I talk about the IKEA effect messenger effects uh, you know stuff like that and that's how I started out but then over time I realized there's actually a better way for me to to use this platform and that's for me to really talk about you know how can we use behavioral science in a way that's that's beneficial in our everyday decisions and our everyday lives and our habits and how can we use the techniques and the methods from behavioral science in a way that's going to help us achieve our long-term goals and so that's kind of where I've taken the channel over the last year or so. And uh, that's where I've seen the most growth as well. So it's clearly resonating with a, with a much larger audience. I think people are just sort of very kind of frustrated with the self-improvement industry because you have a bunch of these people who are not experts, who don't use evidence. It's just kind of, you know, lots of opinion pieces and it's very confusing. Whereas what I'm trying to do is be like, listen, here are some papers, you know, I provide references in my descriptions and I say, you know, from this evidence, these are the recommendations that I would make that, that can help you achieve your long-term goals. Uh-huh. And I think we have to back up a second there because I think people who know you, people who are 42 courses students, I think that, that mention of Rory at the beginning of the journey, I had a conversation with Rory, that's not an everyday occurrence for normal people. So how did that come about? Yeah, it was a pretty amazing turn of events. So I was a big Rory fan beforehand anyway. Mm -hmm. And I was leading a team at my university called the War of Behavioral Insights team. And we were organizing this event. It was like this, this summit, this, uh, this conference, basically. And oh. I was leading it. And so I said, hey, guys, you know, we need to get a speaker who's going to be a headliner and really bring in, you know, a big audience. And so I was like, okay, think, okay, who should we ask? Who should we ask? Who should we ask? <laughs> and then I was like, screw it. Let's ask Rory Sutherland, right? He's like <laughs> one of the biggest names in our field. He lives in the UK. Like, perfect. Let's go for it. So we asked him, fully expecting him to reject this. Instead, he like instantly said, yeah, absolutely, I'm there. Because <laughs> it was just insane. Was that a physical event, face-to-face? -face? Well, it was supposed to be initially um, oh. at the university in Warwick. And so that's how he planned it. Rory said that he'd come down for the day and speak. And, you know, we were like over the moon. I was over the moon, you know, as a, as a fan. And then COVID happens. And so we were forced to move it online. We're forced to mm. put it on YouTube. And Rory, because he's so generous, still recorded his talk and, and sent it to us for us to upload on YouTube, despite the event, you know, not happening how it was supposed to. Mm -hmm. And so I was coordinating with Rory to get that video off him. And then Rory said, hey, you know, like after, after Nudge Stock, let's have a chat, me and you. So that's what we did. So we had a call and that's how we had that conversation of, uh, you know, behavioral science on YouTube, whether there should be more or not. That's how I got inspired to make the channel in the first place. And um, yeah, it was pretty, I was, I was so nervous for this call, like yeah. <laughs> very starstruck indeed, but yeah, it ended up going really well. That's amazing. Cause actually you applied one of his principles that he talks about in his keynote speeches, when he talks about maximizing your surface area to good opportunity, you just, as you say, you just went for it. That's, that's exactly what he's preaching about. Yeah. Amazing. Absolutely. Um, a lot of people think about starting a YouTube channel. I, I'm into running and I follow a few people and um, I can see they're so successful. People have got like 25,000 or 50,000 followers. And there are so many people right now trying to replicate this and they've got like 400 followers. And I'm thinking, you know, everyone's like, I want to get catch the wave of a YouTube channel. It's not easy. So I wanted to ask you, 
as a successful YouTuber and hopefully even more successful in the future, what are the highs and the lows of having a YouTube channel, producing the content, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, you're right to say that like, it's not easy, right? It's, it's people think, oh, it's just making videos, like how hard can it be? But like, it's really hard. Like it's a lot of work, it's a lot of hours. Uh, it's a big commitment. And I probably wouldn't have been able to do it if not for lockdown, to be honest, because I just suddenly mm. had you know a lot more time at home and not much else to do. And I was like, oh, actually now I have the time and I happen to have the skill set of how to edit videos. And I was like, oh, actually, you know, this is something that I can do. Mm -hmm. the, the highs, I'd say, is definitely just being able to connect with people you never thought you'd able, be able to connect with, right? The fact that I'm on this podcast with you, Bren, the fact that I get to talk to Rory, the fact that I got to talk to Professor Wendy Wood or uh, Katie Milkman, you know, these are people who I've looked up to for, for years. And just because I have this platform, this audience, I get to talk to them, you know, um, which is awesome. Yeah. And, and also just like the audience themselves, you know, like I didn't expect this part of it to be as rewarding, but like really I get so many messages from people who watch my videos and they tell me like, you know, how much it's helped them, how much it's, uh, wow. you know, encouraged them to pursue a career in behavioral science and how they were like, they, they felt so like stranded because maybe they live in a country where there's not a lot of behavioral science happening. And so they, they don't really know where to find resources to learn more. And then they find my YouTube channel and it, it really is like a, you really appreciate it. So that's, that turns out to be extremely rewarding as well. We get similar feedback from the 42 courses because we have those behavioral science courses and we get that same thing from people in countries around the world that don't have the opportunity to, yeah, to go and see a Rory talk, for example, you know, in person. Yeah, exactly the same. Um, and what about, do you, do you find it, is there stress? Is there pressure in like, what am I going to talk about this week or yeah, just fitting it all in? Oh yeah, for sure. Like there's, there's two types of pressure that I feel the most. Um, one type of pressure is um, upload schedule, right? So like how regularly, how regularly mm -hmm. I upload. For example, like we're doing this talk at the time of this recording now, I haven't uploaded for over two weeks, right? And I used to upload weekly. And so uh -huh. the fact that I have this delay means that I feel like a lot of pressure right now. Like I'm letting people down. I'm letting my audience down because I'm not making videos letting the algorithm down yeah i, I mean I, I think i think the frequency impact on the algorithm is, is overstated but i'm definitely like you know people subscribe they want me to to make videos for them that's why they sign up and i feel like i'm failing on that promise if i don't upload videos regularly enough um and then the other side of of it is um accuracy right because i'm talking about scientific uh -huh. um concepts here and like the stuff there's videos i made like over a year ago which i would probably not make today because I no longer believe in those in those things right and Adam Grant uh, from UPenn he talks about like updating your beliefs in light of better evidence that's yeah. something which I'm constantly doing and I'm constantly learning more and uh, learning with the channel which means that some of those old videos of mine become outdated and so with at least with every new upload I make I try to do my research and make sure what I'm saying is uh, you know to the best of my knowledge accurate but mm -hmm. it's not it's never perfect and so I do get a bit of flack for that as well. And I, I try, it is a bit of pressure as well. Do you, do you have that pressure of like, okay, this was a high performing in terms of views or engagement. So I should do more of that content or is that not into your consideration? It's just what interests you this particular week or whatever. Um, I mean, I think it's hard for any creator to kind of ignore those metrics, right? Like, mm. you know, if you have a particular video that just goes astronomical, like you want to, you got to think about, you know, what, what was working here? Like why, why did it go so well? Um, but then the problem with that is um, 
if you just follow the views and you just follow the, the metrics, you kind of lose all passion for the craft itself of, of making the videos. And so what I've started doing over the last month or so is just turning off all the metrics and deleting, you know, I get all, I get all these, you know, browser extensions and I delete the app from my phone and everything. So I can't see it. Uh-huh. And it's actually incredibly liberating, right? Like it's, yeah. it's very liberating creatively. So maybe those videos that I make won't perform as well, but at least creatively I'm more satisfied because I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I'm making videos about stuff that I'm passionate about, about stuff that, you know, I, I think is more important than just sort of following the views. There's maybe a video in that about putting your phone to do not disturb and the, uh, the benefits to your mental health and your happiness about not being constantly pinged and yeah, for sure. Fine. Before we move on about YouTube channel, is, would there be any suggestion, advice, top tip that you would have to someone who's thinking of starting their own YouTube channel? Don't worry about your videos being rubbish in the beginning, right? Because like they're going to be rubbish in the beginning. It's like, like the way I see it, it's, it's just like any other skill, right? Imagine if you start a new sport, mm. right? You know, you're going to be pretty bad when you first start for the first few months, probably. But it's okay. It's, everyone starts from the same place. And it's about getting the reps in. It's about making lots and lots of videos, getting yeah. those rubbish ones out of the way. So then you can start <laughs> making some better quality stuff later on. Yeah. So that'll be my advice. Just, just don't worry about the quality in the beginning. Just, just make a bunch of videos. Uh-huh. Very good. Behavioral science. You mentioned the Dan Ariely book. Uh, I presume you predict pretty irrational, that one. Yes, right? yes. That's the one I'm talking about, yeah. What's your current favorite or a new one that stands out for you? Favorite book? My favorite book has to be Good Habits, Bad Habits. Uh-huh. I talk about it like all the time on my channel. And honestly, like it's, it's, it's like uh, where like 90% of my content <laughs> comes from is from this one book because it's just so packed with, with good stuff. You know, like you, I could make a whole video on like one page of that book because <laughs> there's just so much like good material in there. Um, Professor Wood, who I'm lucky enough to, to call like a mentor and a friend, um, she wrote the book. She's the world's leading expert on habits. And she, uh, through reading her book, I became a fan and then we got in contact and she's taught me so much about habits, you know, over the, over the last year. And so that's how I got to the stage now where I can pretty confidently like go into any room and be like, yes, I am a behavioral scientist, but I'm a habit expert in particular. And to be honest, you can, if you just read good habits, bad habits, like three or four times, like you'll get to a very similar level to me because it is just packed with so much, so much good stuff in there. That's amazing, actually, that in your behavioral science journey, just just two of the names, Rory and Professor Wood, and you, you'd be able to contact them. I mean, you couldn't do this in like the world of, I don't know, fintech or Bitcoin or it's quite, um, it's an amazing community, right? It's an incredible community. The thing I find with behavioral science is that people are very generous. You know, if you mm. just ask, if you just ask people, um, you know, everyone's tend to, tends to be very nice, you know, unless you're going like right to the top to like, I don't know, Richard Thaler or something, it's a bit more difficult, but you know, most people in the field, you know, even people who you might think are, are too famous for you to, to talk to, they're actually very nice uh, and, and will we'll reach out to you. Fantastic. And what about um, favorite podcast? Are you a podcast listener? I am. Yeah. I listen to lots of podcasts. Um, I think my favorite is probably Choiceology with Katie Milkman, uh, uh-huh. that format they've got going with uh, like a really emotional story in the beginning and then getting into the behavioral science a bit afterwards. I think it's just such a good, a good way to explain concepts. I'm also really into um, the happiness lab recently with Laurie Santos. Um, oh, that I've one is seen, fantastic. Yeah. I've seen it. I haven't listened to that one. Okay. I'll check that one out. Yeah. Yeah, give it a go. She talks about, you know, just all different aspects of, of happiness science and just how to be happy based off science and like 
it's just really really interesting to listen to the one i'm i'm been into very recently is the on brand with rory sutherland um he speaks to some very mm-hmm. interesting people that you wouldn't expect that he'd be speaking to and and there was a i think it was last week's episode when i actually heard rory go i see i've never heard rory not know anything before it was quite a moment yeah yeah anything anything with rory is great for sure and he's such a he's such a humble dude like you know despite all of his experience and like you know his status and everything you know he, he he'll talk to anyone and if, if you learn something new he'll be genuinely interested and it's just you know he's just a great guy yeah so that was going to be my next question like who is your favorite behavioral science personality and why is it rory <laughs> <laughs> yeah rory's the best I, I have the privilege of saying now that i work for him which is awesome so i get to to talk with him and and, and see him on a, on a fairly regular basis the, the guy is just a, a creative powerhouse like uh-huh. it's there's, there's no comparison. Now, now I'm working with him. I get to see it like up close and it's even more impressive when you get to see him in action, like on the job. And um, we'll, at Ogilvy, we'll do this thing called an ideation where we're like coming together as a team and coming up with lots of ideas. And uh, I was very lucky in, in my first couple of weeks of, of, of being on the job, Rory came and joined the ideation, which is not an everyday occurrence. Okay. Um, so Rory joined the ideation with the rest of the team and like the stuff that's coming out of his brain is just like so, <laughs> such so much higher quality than like anyone else on the team. Um, it's like how how do you how do you think of these things? Uh, even for the people who have been like immersed in in the whole um, problem for like a month, and Rory will just come in like you know just fresh and, and and come up with the best ideas out of everyone. So yeah, he is really an amazing guy, and you know someone who I definitely look up to a lot, um, and I'm privileged to to work for at the moment and. Um, and yeah, and like I said, he's just, he's, he's not just amazing, but he's also just a nice, genuinely really nice, generous, humble guy. You know, it's very yeah. approachable, very tall. Yeah. And, and for people that might not know, if they're not following you on LinkedIn or whatever, they might not know that you recently-ish joined Ogilvy Change. So can you tell us the, the highlights of that moment? Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit of a dream come true, right? Like it's, it's, yeah. As a Rory fan um, growing up, you know, Ogilvy was always on the on the top of my list of behavioral science firms to to go work for, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when I when I got the job to to be part of the team that I always wanted to be part of, um, it really was like such an amazing moment for me. And so now I've been on the job for like three, almost four months now, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's incredible. Like every, everybody there's you know really nice and uh, very welcoming. It's very even though Ogilvy is such a big company. The team definitely has a very kind of family feel to it. You know, everyone looks out for each other. It's very supportive. And um, yeah, I'm just having a great time. And how did you find out about the vacancy? Was it that Tara Austin tweet? Was it that? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I was following Rory and Dan and, and Sam, who are all three of them are my bosses now. Uh, but they, you know, they, they were, uh, you know, tweeting about the vacancies. And, and so, yeah, I, you know, I just put my application in. I was coming towards the end of my master's degree. So it just seemed appropriate, really. Amazing. Yeah. So uh, what does a behavioral scientist and Ogilvy change do, do on a like, day-to-day basis? Okay, the ideation sessions are not every day, are they? Uh, not every day, but, you know, free, frequently enough. Um, wow. It's a great question because I, I remember before joining, I also had no clue what, <laughs> what behavioral scientists do every day. So, so basically, there's, there's three types of jobs that we do every day. Um, and we might do a combination of these or just one each day, but 
there's three types of jobs. One is um, the research phase of things. So uh, when we meet with a client, you know, just think of any household name brand that you can think of, you know, something, someone like that, they'll come to us and they'll say, we have this behavioral problem. And then we delve into the research phase. So the research phase is like immersing ourselves in the industry and in the problem that we're dealing with, right? So imagine it's like uh, streaming services, right? We, we, a client is a streaming service. Okay, so we're gonna spend lots of time looking at Netflix, looking at Amazon Prime Video, looking at all the different services and trying to figure out what are they doing that's really good? What are they doing that's not so good? What can we do better? Um, how can we apply behavioral science to this to, to create an experience which is really fantastic for people? And that'll take a few weeks um, to really mm -hmm. immerse yourself in that problem. And also mm -hmm. looking at things like like data and all that um, from, from, from studies and questionnaires and interviews and all that. So that's the first phase. Then the second phase is the fun bit, which is the, the ideation phase. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we're, you know, we've, so after we've immersed ourselves, we've identified like what are the barriers, what are the problems to achieving a certain behavior, then we launch into the ideation where we're generating lots and lots of ideas of how we can tackle that problem. Like what kind of behavioral interventions can we design to help overcome all of these barriers? And um, at Ogilvy, we have a very large purview of things that we can try and test and, 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 you know, we're very sort of unrestricted in that way. So it's very rewarding. So is that like a wild brainstorm where there's no bad idea, just get everything out? Exactly, exactly. And, so, you know, some of the ideas will be directly from behavioral science, right? So mm -hmm. something that some, has been tested academically. And sometimes it'll just be like creative, wacky stuff that we come up with and then we figure mm -hmm. out the behavioral science afterwards. Um, but the, the, idea, the idea is to come up with lots of ideas and to... Um, and then afterwards, we we narrow it down into like the ones that we think are the best ones, the ones that we think will actually work or that are feasible. Um, and then we'll present those to the client. And then if the client agrees with it, then we work with them to, to roll it out to, you know, to get it prototyped and, and to get it actually existing in real life. And mm -hmm. then we go into the third phase, which is the testing of it. And so that's when we have data and we spend time just processing it and seeing if what we tried actually worked. So those are the three types of jobs we have research ideas and uh, data. It's quite a long process compared to like the kind of um, high pressure, fast uh, deadline, no timeline. I mean, uh, world of advertising agencies where you might have to be doing something all night and finish it for tomorrow. Sounds like a kind of more relaxed process slightly. Uh, I mean, you say that, but it's not really like we have, we have a lot of jobs, right? Like we have a lot of clients. And so, and then, you know, the clients have deadlines too, because at the end of the day, they're, they're the ones paying us. And so, you know, they, they want certain deliverables by certain weeks. And so, yeah, sometimes we do have to work like when it gets close to those deadlines, we do have to push, but then I see like the workload kind of goes in waves. So like there'll be times where you have to like work really hard um, to, to, to get something out on time, ready for the client, but then there'll be other weeks where it is a bit more relaxed and the relaxed part is actually where the best ideas come from because you're kind of not too stressed. You're allowed to think more creatively, allowed to sort of explore ideas and play with things basically. And um, it's in that play that you actually come up with the, the most creative stuff. So yeah, it's, it's a nice fun balance. Cool. What would be your advice to someone? Cause at 42 courses, we, we get a lot of, uh, of the students asking us how how they can get on in in the behavioral science industry so what would be your advice to someone who's super interested in behavioral science like at the beginning of their reading and understanding of it and they'd like to get into the industry yeah i get this question a lot um i'll say i'll give you 
two bits of advice. Mm -hmm. The first one is um, do a master's, right? Like everyone, everyone asks me like, oh, do I need a master's? Is it really necessary? Yeah, like it's it's pretty much necessary. Like no no firm will tell you that it's necessary, but like if you look at who's actually getting hired, it's only really people with masters. And so okay. my top recommendation is if you can, if you can afford it, and if you can do it, you know, logistically, try and do a master's because it, it'll significantly improve your chances of getting in okay. to the industry. And then the next one is um, get your name out there somehow. So like I did it through a YouTube channel. If you want to start a YouTube channel, go for it as well. But, you know, I know friends who had blogs or who wrote books or who just like got involved with their university societies and, and promoted stuff on social media. You know, get if your name's out there and like you're somebody who just isn't just somebody else who's interested in the subject, that's going to go a long way to helping you stand out to employers. And while the industry is growing rapidly and there are new jobs every day, it is still a very competitive job market for people. So, um, you know, having something extra uh, that's not just official qualifications can really help you stand out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, just skipping back a moment for the uh, for the masters. Um, are there actual behavioral science strict masters like that, or can it be a bit more varied in the master's title, something psychology or? Yeah, great question. It, it can it can be more varied. Um, you know, there's people at my office who did stuff in like who did a masters in like neuroscience or mm -hmm. in like marketing. Um, so it's kind of more tangential subjects, but you know, these days there are behavioral science masters, right? My master's was in behavioral and economic science at the university of Warwick, right? It doesn't really get much more on the nose than that. So I did that, um, you know, there's a decision, cognitive decision science at, at UCL. There's, um, uh, the economics of everyday life at LSE. So like those ones are a bit more like, uh, directly applicable to behavioral uh -huh. science and, and the more directly applicable it is the more useful it'll be to the company and, and to your CV as well, because it'll legitimately make you better at the job. Like if you have that qualification. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the tangential ones can also, also work as well. It's mm -hmm. just a bit harder. Good advice. Yeah. Um, okay. Moving a bit more left field, got a, a foolish question, but these often give some nice uh, results. <laughs> if behavioral science was a food, what would you say it would be? <laughs> Yeah, it's such a funny question. Um, I, I'd say Parmesan cheese <laughs> because you can add it to pretty much anything and it's better. Ah, <laughs> right? uh, very good. Um, uh, yeah. Okay, this is, this is a bit more tough. If, if behavioral science was a sport. Ooh, was a sport. Um, that's tough. I'd say... I'll tell you what it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be gymnastics, okay? Because gymnastics looks really hard and is really hard, right? <laughs> Behavioral science would be a sport that looks really easy until you get into it, and then actually it's, it's, it's pretty difficult. Swimming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe swimming, right? Or, or darts or something. I don't know, but like, you know, it's like one, <laughs> one that people think that, oh, yeah, I can do that. And then you try and then you can't. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, know, you actually have to train for it. Very um, good. Yeah. Okay. And a question that I ask um, pretty much everyone, you have to choose to fight between two options. And option one is a horse-sized duck. And option two is a hundred duck-sized horses. Which option do you Horse choose to fight? Duck-sized. <laughs> 
a huge duck, a horse-sized duck? Or I reckon a horse-sized duck, because if you took the combined mass of the 100 duck-sized horses, I reckon that would be bigger than a horse-sized duck. So if I'm just going by, you know, pound for pound, I reckon I'm better off fighting the, the smaller one, which is the horse-sized duck. Very good data-led answer there. <laughs> data yeah, yeah. Answer. I am a scientist, I don't know if you there know. There you go. It always <laughs> reveals, it reveals the inner workings of the person. Okay, Pete, thank you so much for your time and your great answers. And uh, I wish you even more continued success on your incredible behavioral science journey. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brent. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.